Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I, I think it is, because it is the biggest shock to our system since World War II, we know that it changes everything. What we don't quite know is how it changes everything. So let's not assume, as many people did, in the GFC that this is the great social democratic moment unless we get it right. Hello, good people of podcasts, and welcome to the show. You're with Catherine Murphy, the political editor of Guardian Australia, and with me in the pod cave this week... Chris Bowen. Here we are into the pod cave. (laughs) Chris is looking disconcerted. I don't know if I've ever shared with you guys that in the corner of the pod cave... Uh, lives lives a skeleton uh, in a very splendid black wig. Yes, it's very fetching. You know, the Lee Sales and, and Annabelle Crabbe call their little pop place the priest hole for reasons I've never <laughs> quite understood. What is the priest I, hole? I, I don't know. I think that's what they call it. Um, yes, I think that's what they call it. Okay. Anyway, something like that. But this is the pod cave. Which yeah, is, yes, this, yes, is this, the this pod makes cave. a lot more sense, to yes. be honest. Well, yes. well no, no, not sure. And I'm, now I'm going to look up the priest hole because I'm fascinated. <laughs> anyway, Chris is back to have a conversation. We haven't had a conversation for a few months. Chris came in, I think, last time shortly after the That'd be election. right. It was sometime in the second half of last year. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, so uh, 2019. Yeah. It was pre-everything. <laughs> well, it's sort of, it is bizarre how long 2020 feels. It's sort of... And we're just halfway through. Exactly. It's sort of, I can't believe it's not, you know, time to put the Christmas tree up, you know? So anyway, it is, it's been one of those years for all of us. Um, Anyway, so Chris these days uh, holds the shadow uh, health portfolio uh, after quite a long stint as the shadow treasurer for the Labor Party. Uh, I brought him in, obviously, you know, COVID, uh, being an obvious um, massive story, I'm interested in uh, his reflections about the portfolio and, and where the health debate might go. And anyway, we'll just have our usual yak and see where we go mm. after that. So It's a, it's a choose-your-own-adventure. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So let's start with COVID, Chris. What are your impressions of Australia's health strategy? How do you think the government has... Mm has performed. I mean, not that it's a circus, but you know what I mean. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, look, I've taken the approach, we've taken the approach of being supportive where we can, uh, where we should, uh, to suggest improvements where we can and to hold the government to account where we must. And we've avoided, you know, the sort of negative carping for the sake of it. Because I don't think that's what Australians of any political uh, ilk want to hear in the time of what is a a crisis. It is objectively a crisis. Um, But that's not to say that you know, bipartisanship is silence or it's a blank check. Scrutiny is more important 
mm. at a time of crisis, not less important. So we have provided that scrutiny, I think, as well as being constructive. I'd call it constructive scrutiny. So we've given a big tick to things we think have got right. We've we suggested things like we were sort of more forward-leaning on lockdowns earlier, mm. um, you know, uh, uh, saying that if in doubt, do it earlier, do it harder because mm. that'll that'll save, that'll make the lockdown quicker if you go harder and earlier. I think that was the right call and we got there and, you know, the country got there. I think Dan Andrews and Gladys Berejiklian sort of also led the, mm. the charge for harsher lockdowns uh, and we did too uh, in a different sort of a way as appropriate for our different role. Uh, where we've seen things go wrong, like I would argue the app, um, mm. you know, was sold as mm. the key to our freedom and, you know, it's it's found a very small handful of, of, of issues. What's going uh, on? I, I, I don't want to disrupt your flow, mm. but what, it just, it, this has just put it more sharply into my head. What what the hell has gone wrong with the app? Well, the truth is, Catherine, we're not entirely sure. Um, the one thing we know is it's not a lack of take-up. I mean, more than 6 million people have taken up. That's that's enough for it to work, obviously. You know, the more, the, the merrier. But that's a critical mass. That's enough for us to work. So you can't blame the Australian people. Now, I've read all sorts of... You know, reports about things that are potentially going wrong with it. Some IT experts say it sort of freezes after 100 contacts, mm-hmm. which is deeply worrying if mm, that's true because that, that, that's mm. not very many for mm. most of us going about business. Um, there's all sorts of interoperability issues. Um, now, everybody would cut the government some slack, right, but but you've also got to be honest about the problem. Mm. And if you don't concede there's a problem, you're not going to fix it. The government should be a lot more upfront about what's going on wrong with the app, in my view. Just, again, people would cut them some slack if they're honest about it. Mm. But pretending it's all working when it's just very clearly not in the middle of a major outbreak in Victoria. It's, it's, I suppose they have pretended it's been working, but the, the sort of striking thing is they just kind of stopped talking about it. Yeah, well, maybe they hope it goes away. You know, It's gone from being the key to getting out from under the doona and if you want to go to the football, download the app, to now it's... It's yeah, you're right. It's not mentioned now. You've got contact traces in Victoria, in particular, working their guts out. Um, poor people, uh, you know, day and night, mm. manually tracing. It's a hard task, mm. and the app is adding no value mm. um, in any meaningful sense. And you know, again, so we call that out, not in any sense of triumphalism. We're just saying, hang on, this isn't working. Mm. Um, uh, aged care is obviously again mm. a very big challenge for every government in the world. But we were warned with Newmarch House, what could go wrong, uh, and aged care is a federal responsibility. So that's right. We've seen the, the Ruby Princess, mm-hmm. you know, rear its ugly head again. Yes. Again, we were told the ABF wasn't really a key player. That just doesn't, that's just mm-hmm. not true. Human error. We were mm-hmm. told that the federal government will cooperate with the New South Wales Royal Commission. It hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opposite's the truth. So, the, you know, there are legitimate issues or differences. Um, as I said in Parliament, you know, I don't for one second discount Greg Hunt's commitment to beating corona and coronavirus and his work ethic and, and all those sorts of things. But, you know, where we see a difference of approach, it's our job as a responsible opposition to call it out, and we have done that as well. What do you think, um, I'll ask you about Hunt and a tick, um, but what do, you, what do you think about aged care? Because from my vantage point, um, it looks to me like it's not like the government has been completely asleep at the wheel on aged care, right? Like I think they knew from the start this is a a very vulnerable sector, some funding was was supplied. Like it's been in their heads, yeah. right? Like every Morrison talks about it a bit. It's kind of, it's been there. But as you say, Newmarch House was just a terrible thing that happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not, 
I don't think either of us in this conversation should frame up a situation where a government can control precisely a pandemic Again, down to and, the... and and we haven't done that and no, no, you know, no. nobody would suggest that. No, yes. no, of course. But so what do you what do you think about aged care? It's sort of it's a bit of a mystery to me because it's not like one of those things where they they just it's just a stumble, right? Yeah, like no, that no, they no. just have had no, no, you know. That's so, right. And so look, I think a couple of things. I think it, it it points to the broader weaknesses which we've been talking about for a long time. Now we have a royal commission. I remember when Bill Shorten called for a royal commission to aged care, and Ken White said that would be elder abuse. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is not a uh, this is as much as we want to be, you know, constructive about it. This is not an area of happy bipartisanship. Mm-hmm. You know, this has been contested. Yeah, we were told there was sure. no problem. So it's highlighted the weaknesses in the system that we know have been there a long time. Um, again, you know, under governments of all persuasions, but you've got to call it out. If you don't identify the problem, that's the one way you know you're not going to fix it. Secondly, I remember right back to my first briefings with the then CMO, you know, um, which I was getting on a very regular basis, and I said to Dr Murphy, where are areas of exposure here as a mm. country? What, mm. what what could go wrong? You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? And he said, well, two areas, in remote Indigenous communities yeah. and aged care. Yeah. They're the two things that, you know, they are our biggest challenges. Now, it's been a great success, remote Indigenous communities, all... Mm, touch the, wood. Yeah, so mm. far, so mm. far. And there's been a few near misses, but, you know, the federal government... Uh, working with, you know, I've I've had hookups with Linda Burney and Pat Dodson and Malandir McCarthy and Warren Stone and with, with the Department of Health, you know, where we've fed in um, the federal government to its credit, the, the Territory Administration, West Australian Government, the, the land councils, everybody, mm. you know, okay, if this gets into a remote Indigenous community, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah. And, and again, we can come back to what I think some of the lessons of that are for the broader where we take politics in this mm. country because I think that tells you something, hang on. Mm. You know, that's a reminder of why is that a problem because mm. there's massive overcrowding and poor conditions, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. um, but to stay on topic for a moment, aged care, and he said the other, you know, when, as soon as he says it, it makes sense, right? Aged care, if it gets into an aged care facility, we know the vulnerable are, the elderly are very vulnerable. We yeah. know they live in close quarters. We know that there's common kitchens. We are extremely concerned about aged care. Mm. Um, so it's not like this sort of popped up as a yeah, you know well, a massive surprise. Yeah, so, it's not like surprise. No, it's no, no. Like and again, I'm not trying to be overly carping about it, but again, you've got to call it out and say, well, what was, you know, were all the plans put in place that should be? And we don't really know the answers to that yet. Julie Collins is pursuing that. But I think more broadly it comes back to we've underfunded aged care in Australia. You know, there's a massive waiting list for home care packages mm. and, and everybody would concede, I think, you're actually better off at home if you can be. Yeah. You, you, you can be at home with an aged care, with a home care package. Um, it's a massive waiting list for them and, and as a result, more people are in aged care facilities than otherwise need to be. And if they're at home, you know, with a visitor once a day or once every couple of days, whatever their level of care is, they'd be much, much better off, much safer. So mm. I think that underpins and underlines some of those issues that we've been talking about. Mm, okay. Well, then, well, God, there's a lot of threads to pick up mm. there. So then it's sort of ridiculous to talk about a post-COVID world because we won't be in one mm. for, a, well, uh, for a, God knows how long, really. No, that's um, right. I mean, the thing about just on the post-COVID world, this disease is not defeated anywhere until mm. it's defeated everywhere. Mm, exactly. So while ever it exists in any jurisdiction around the world, we are on high alert, mm. even with our border shut. You know, we've seen just how easily somebody can sneak in or something can go wrong. So um, until we have a vaccine and until that vaccine is widely administered um, around the world, mm. we are in a COVID world. Now, mm. um, 
the good news is that every researcher in the world is working on a vaccine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but a vaccine of this nature would normally take 17 years to develop. You know, they're trying to do it in one year. Mm. And I think they will. I hope they will. I, you know, mm. there's signs of confidence. I think they probably will, but. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, no, it's no, warp no. speed. Well, and also there, there are a bunch of um, viral illnesses yeah. for which there aren't vaccines. I mean, yeah. you know, AIDS is an obvious case in point, yes. right? That's I mean, right. people have been working on a vaccine for so, God knows how long. Uh, and, 30 years. But yeah. the therapeutic treatments have obviously improved yeah, yeah. massively. That's right. We've got so, PrEP and now uh, the, the the survival rate is, you know, is exponentially better than it was. Mm. And I, I think the other point on just while we're on sort of the broad health stuff, Catherine, is... Even when we're through this, like let's just assume for a moment that there's a vaccine and that it's broadly available and I've got views about that and what more we could be doing. We should not assume, though, that this is a black swan moment, mm. that this is the only pandemic. No, we know it's not. No, exactly. We know it's not. Now, there have been others which have been, you know, easier to manage um, but only, you know, by um, have been close calls. Now, the next one uh, might not be a close call. You know, if, if, if we get a particularly virulent flu strain, after COVID-19. That could be the big one. This might not be the big one. So mm-hmm. we have to really take this moment to to revisit what went right and wrong, how prepared we were. You know, we had 20 million masks in the stockpile, which sounds like a lot at first blush. It's bugger all yeah. when you're in a pandemic. Um, a few years ago, we had 98 million gloves, gowns and, and, um, and uh, other PPE, 98 million gloves and gowns. As we went in this pandemic, we had none in the stockpile, none. Really? Yeah. So now again, I'm not a, a casting blame here. For somehow or other, that went wrong. But obviously, we need to do a lot better. Um, so it's partly there's a legitimate conversation about domestic supply capacity, mm. capability in manufacturing more broadly, and you know medical manufacturing in particular. And then there's issues about the stockpile and pandemic preparedness. And that's why um, we've suggested. There should be a discussion about a CDC. We're the only OECD country without one. What about, uh, the, I suppose, the counterfactual to we need a CDC is poor old Anthony Fauci, of course. Sure. So, no, no, it's not a panacea. Let's yeah. be sure. Yeah. Let's be clear. Just having a CDC doesn't mean you respond better. But um, if you think about Australia's context with our federation, if you had one source of information mm. and advice to governments, so in our system you'd probably do it as part of you know the federation, yeah. Um, uh, I think it could enhance our approach in future. I'm just not taking any away from the CMOs and the CHOs and the AHPPC and everything that we've all learnt about yes, over recent months. the acronym I consistently get wrong. Fair enough. Yes. CDC is easier to remember. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm for it on that <laughs> for, basis. For it on basis. Yeah. Um, having one permanent institution advising governments of all persuasions and levels I think would be a useful development. And uh, we've also suggested a region-wide structure when you consider how exposed our region is, by which I mean, you know, the Indo-Pacific yes. broadly, but um, our region in particular, Southeast Asia and the Pacific, we are very exposed to pandemics. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you had some sort of ASEAN Plus, you know, ASEAN Plus is strategic partners having not a policy-making or determinative body, but a, a body bringing together the research and, and helping countries through, I think that would be a useful development, maybe through the auspices of APEC or maybe ASEAN um, and the strategic partners. We think that's a useful conversation. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can see merit just, you know, from mm. a standing start. What about just on the CDC or equivalent, um, at one of the Senate COVID hearings, mm. I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it might have been Bill Botel. Was uh, there were there are a bunch of uh, well, uh, Botel's not an epidemiologist, uh, but there are a bunch of 
experts. Yeah, health experts. Raina McIntyre perhaps. Or, yes, yeah, yeah Raina mm. McIntyre, Peter Collignon, yep. you know, anyway, and I think Bill Botel was also there. He was making the point that with a uh, he was a, he was an advocate of a CDC mm. type structure. He also made the point about independence yes. from government because yes. the the acronym that I always get wrong the 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 CMOs and the health advisors in the states have sort of been um, vacuumed into the apparatus of government yes. during this pandemic. Uh, prior to that, they they sat outside it, and obviously they still issue their own statements mm. and do all that stuff. But they've kind of been yeah, it's all been very messy. In drawn, <laughs> like just drawn into the, the the reporting structure. Do you, as part of this sort of uh, call it the shake up of the architecture? think that a body like that should be independent yeah, from government. sure. I mean, it's, it's part of government. It's got to be government-funded, but it's got to also – there's plenty of mechanisms you can put in place to make it autonomous within government. Yeah. In other words, what do you mean by that? You want it giving free, free, fearless and frank advice not only to the minister but to the public. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm the health minister, which I hope to be, I'm not a medical doctor, right? So um, you want a CDC there. And you and you want the minister playing a hands-on important role, but you want to know the CD, what you're hearing is direct from the CDC. Mm. You don't want to, you don't want it through a political lens. Well, yeah, you mm. don't want to fear that a political lens yeah. is kind of sitting on top of that advice. Although I acknowledge, um, you know, in out of respect for your profession, uh, that there's that's quite a white knuckle ride for any any government sure. to have, um, you know, a sort of set of experts standing, uh, well, withstanding who can yeah. uh, run No, no, that's own. right. And ultimately government is responsible, right? Mm. But you want transparency. So ultimately politicians, I'm a bit old-fashioned, ultimately elected politicians have to make decisions and be accountable for them and responsible to parliament, right? That's our job. That's yep. why we paid them the bucks we paid. We have to, we have to take the responsibility. But you also want... Uh, I think, a professional body of experts there advising government and you want to know when government has rejected advice and for what reasons and, you know, as minister you've got to be accountable for that mm. and the public needs to know what that advice was in, yes. a, in, a, in an open and transparent way. And I think a permanent, but it's not just about pandemics, right, it's about all, all, all sorts of um, well, disease the, issues. I mean, we've got... There, there are many, I mean, without wanting to depress everybody listening to this uh, this show and, you know, mm. force everybody back under the doona, there, there are so many challenges well, in this area. Like, you know, just take one. I mean, there's a there's a heart condition in, in our Indigenous communities. You've got rheumatic heart disease, you've got other, there's an AIDS-type virus, for example, which is at epidemic levels in some Indigenous communities, which we've known about for longer than we've known about AIDS in the world, mm. and we don't have... Um, a cure or a vaccine or anything. Mm. So, you know, there are there is real important work to be done, and in any in a pandemic, the CDC will come to the fore of the of the you know the public discussion. But I would I think it's got a role to play every day dealing with some of our great health challenges mm. um, across the board. And there, I think you know I am turning my mind to the health architecture under a Labor government, and mm. that is part of the conversation. I also am thinking about what we do about the social determinants of health. You know, your your health in Australia is very much determined by your postcode yes. and your wealth. Yeah. Far too far yeah, far exactly. more than it should be. Mm. Now, does the architecture of government reflect that? No, in my view it doesn't. So that's high my my thinking as well. And well, there's a couple of markers for the future. I mean, sort of in general terms, obviously you're not going to give me Labor's health policy for the next election no. in this conversation. But um what does and and you know, I don't mean to frame the question so narrowly, you know, what does COVID tell us about what we need to do in health? Because mm. that's kind of a stupid question, but it's sort of, but it, it sort of sits at the root of yep. the challenge, right? That's so right. looking ahead, 
Um, what uh, you've mentioned a couple of things. Just expand a little bit on yeah. where you think this needs to go. So, well, I mean, I think you have to look for a silver lining in any problem like this. So, um, those of us who care about health and public policy should see it as an opportunity to elevate the importance of health in our public discussion, um, the importance of a good public health system, funding for health, the social determinants of health, chronic disease. I mean, we know that people who have comorbidities and chronic disease are more exposed to COVID, but we also know they're going to die earlier on average because yeah, yeah. a whole range of you know implications of diabetes, of obesity, um, and you know, then they're more exposed. And again, we know that's a socioeconomic issue. I, I represent the diabetes capital of Australia in parliament, mm. you know, and, and um, it, it's because it's a complicated thing, but, you know, many poorer areas are struggling to get food on the table, working three jobs, they're, they're prioritising getting food on the table. Mm, exactly. And, you know, and, they're going for the, food. And cheaper food and, you know, you know and don't have time, expensive. don't yeah. have time to exercise when you're working three jobs, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of challenges. If we elevate the importance of health in the public discussion, I think that's a good thing. I mean, you can use this crisis whenever whenever and however it ends and we come through the other side to say, well, actually, you know, all those things we've been talking about public health, that we saw how important this conversation is when we had COVID-19 mm. and let's not suggest, let's not think that every, life goes back to normal. Mm. The one thing we know is that this changes everything and it changes everything in my view about politics, economics, health. I mean, this is a major event yeah. in the history of our country and our society, yeah. and it will have implications. Now, what we don't know quite yet is what all those implications are. Mm. Partly that's up to us, right? Mm. Those of us who participate in the political debate, we have to shape that. Mm. Um, and you know, we'll probably talk about that a bit more, but we have to shape that in terms of the political debate, the public policy discussion, and we have to take the right lessons out of COVID-19. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I know. Yeah, and we will talk about that. We'll mm. get on to it in a sec. Just one more question, just because uh, I'm, I'm fascinated uh, and because politics well, not so much during this crisis, but generally presents to the world as a combat industry and it kind of mm -hmm. is. Um, uh, I had uh, one of your colleagues, Jim Chalmers, mm. in the studio, I don't know, months, 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 months ago, maybe, 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 yeah, maybe. Yeah, anyway, yeah. sorry, time, it's COVID time, we're living in, it's very, very difficult to keep track of. Anyway, he uh, expanded a little bit on, without obviously giving away any confidences, but on he's got a reasonably productive relationship with Josh Frydenberg, mm. right, which may not be obvious to the public at large. But it's the way it should be. But the way it should be. So have you had a similar similar uh, relationship with Hunt in terms of, you know, has he been collaborative or, you know, up to up to the obvious up, point? Up to a level, yeah, um, up to an appropriate level. Um, um, our officers do interact a lot more than, say, um, Greg and I do personally. Mm -hmm. um, our officers do compare notes and we get, you know, you get lots of people calling in with ideas or, you know, we, we know this source of masks, all that sort of stuff, and, you know, we, we pass those on and it's all... It's all handled very appropriately at both both ends, mm -hmm. but my office's end and his office's end. Um, we worked together to set up the COVID committee, for example. Mm. Um, I rang him and said, you know, here's how, you know that, we could, that could have happened any number of ways. It could be handled by any number of parliamentary committees. And I thought, well, the right thing to do would be to have a special COVID-19 committee um, and it should look at the app, for example. He was very, you know. Mm. Open to that. Open, you know, very mm -hmm. good Good. A level yeah. of dialogue. Um, he doesn't consult me about what he should do, and that's and and he doesn't need to. I mean, he, he's mm. the minister. Yeah. Um, he's he's ultimately, as I said before, he's the one ultimately accountable to Parliament. He's got to be accountable to all his colleagues, uh, parliamentary colleagues, and to the public. Um, 
so, you know, I, I don't have any complaints there. He's, mm. he's got a job to do and I don't expect to, for him to be on the phone asking my advice every five minutes. No, no, no. sure. But, I, I, but, I, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's, no, no. it's just one of those things where in a way, strangely, even though there are very, very valid points of distinction Correct. ideologically, It's not always the way. Uh, ministers and shadow ministers have a whole, you know, some, you know, through whoever's fault, have a very poor relationship yes. and, and can't talk to yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, others um, can have a dialogue. I always mm. try and have a dialogue with my opposite number. I always tried when I was you know, sitting on the other side when I was mm. a minister because mm. there are things you can do in the national interest right, mm. and manage and say, well, look, we think in the national interest we should do this and manage it with you. And there are some things that parties of government should agree on because, yeah. you know, um, uh, I don't know whether we'll win the next election or not. I don't know whether we'll win the election after that or not. But I do know we're almost certainly the next government of Australia, mm. right? We're a party of government mm. and they're a party of government and parties of government have a particular responsibility, you know, with all due respect to other parties, they have a role to play too, but they're not parties of government. They don't have that overwhelming weight of responsibility that um, we may at any time be, you know, called upon mm. to exercise. Um, and therefore you mm. sh- there's a particular level of responsibility on us. Yeah, yeah, mm. sure. Um, okay, let's put your old treasury hat on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's traumatic or not. Oh, no, no. Six years as Shadow Treasurer, the longest serving Shadow Treasurer in Australian history. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was quite the. quite. You know. I, I, know you are, I know you are genuinely fascinated by these, by these debates and these arguments about mm. the economy. Mm. I don't imagine it is a traumatic experience. To no, no, not at all. So, no, not at so all. So, let's do that. Um, okay, economy. Oof. Um, you know, biggest, no one's talking about a V-shaped recovery anymore. No. Biggest shock, obviously, since the Great Depression. Um, you know, it's, it's bigger than the JFC and that was, mm. that was big, uh, but this one's bigger. It's, it's more, yes. Yes, yes, more yes, complex, yes. I guess, is, put it that way, right? So wh- what does it mean? Well, what do you think? Um, well, I think what does it mean for the economy? Uh, what does it mean for the economic debate? What does it mean for... For the political debate. Yes. Well, um, that, that's, rather, thank yeah. you for articulating yeah, no, the questions. Rather than, I the, you know, I mean, thank I could you. make the point about weakness of the economy coming into all this and, yeah. and that they're all valid. Yeah, no, no, what is, But what I think is you're it, trying to get to what a What does broader... it mean for, you know, for, the, for, for that, for those things, for the discussion about the economy, for what the economy, mm-hmm. how we need to look at the economy and frame the economy? What does it well, mean for the, those yeah. things? Yeah. Oh, look, I, I think it is, of course, it is the biggest shock to our system since World War II. Um, and because it is an economic shock and a social policy shock, mm. a health shock and a political shock, mm. we know that it changes everything. What we quite, what we don't, as I said before, what we don't quite know is how it changes everything. So by that, what do I mean by that? Well, conven- there's conventional wisdom and then there's the truth. And sometimes the conventional wisdom is correct, but often it's not. Mm. So I look back to the global financial crisis. The conventional wisdom was that that was an opportunity to reset the political debate for Social Democratic parties, yeah. parties of the of the of the centre left. Yeah, it was the social democratic moment. Why? Because well, rampant deregulation and 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 laissez faire government mm. and you know extreme capitalism yeah. had the, led to this crisis. Yeah. Failure of um, extreme capitalism fa- opens opportunity. To, and therefore, sensible yeah. social democratic parties with, who believe in a sensible degree of intervention in the market and proper checks and balances, this would be our time. Yeah. Life didn't turn out like that. It, no. it turned into the right-wing populist moment, yeah. right? Yeah. The anger in the community about the failures and the fact that in almost every country world no one went to jail and, you know, um, many of the people who caused the crisis just returned to business as normal. That didn't result in the social democratic moment. It resulted in the right-wing populist moment, yeah. I think, much to the to the detriment of the world. Um, 
So uh, that was the conventional wisdom then. What does it mean now? Well, you know, there's a lot of talk about the opportunity for a reset, post-World War II building, emphasis on the care economy, you know, liberals, our version of liberals, uh, conservatives are, are spending unthinkable amounts that we would have been, yeah. you know, if I, when I shadow would treasury, if I'd gone to an election spending. with, with, yeah, yeah. with uh, some of those sorts of policies, you would yeah. have laughed me out of the building. Yeah. So it changes everything. Now, um, there's no doubt there's some, there's potential there for that conversation, but let's not assume, as many people did in the GFC, that this is the great social democratic moment unless we get it right. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Now, what are the key lessons for me, I think? Well, I think taking the Australian experience, what this shows is, because we've done so far, despite our current challenges in Victoria in particular, relatively well, what this shows is what is possible for governments when there's a force of will. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right? So lots of hard things have been done very quickly because governments have had the force of will to do it. Yep. A a few very quick examples. I mean, in January, February, there were 2,000 intensive care beds in Australia. Mm Mm-hmm. And in ventilators. Now there's more than 7,000. That's a big turnaround quickly. Yep. Right? Governments yep. decided this is really important. Mm. We're going to do we this. Do Federal, mm. state working together. Um, the example I like the best is homelessness. I mean, governments said, oh dear, this is going to be a big problem. We've got all these rough sleepers, people on the streets with COVID 19 ripping through. That, that's bad for them. They'll be vectors. Let's get them into hotels. Mm. Some remarkable figures about homeless people who've been housed in hotels and accommodated and still are accommodated. Mm. Um, a remarkable turnaround because governments decided it was important. Yeah. Uh, in the UK, there was, this example works in the UK, they had a, a five-year ambition of reducing homelessness by 90%. Mm-hmm. They said in five years, we want to reduce homelessness by 90%. For the same reasons as Australian governments did, they said, what, we need to get homeless people off the street. They met that five-year ambition in 48 hours. 90% of rough sleepers were housed in 48 hours. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, what's my point? I guess it's a twofold point. One, we shouldn't accept the crap that these some things are too hard. Yeah. Right? Things are in the too hard basket because we decide they're in the too hard basket. Mm. When governments actually want to fix something, they okay. can fix it. Mm. Um, if we took the same alacrity that we showed with homelessness to, say, domestic violence shelters, you know, um, we, who are running on a small of an oil rag? I, I recently dropped off some old furniture to one of mine, which is in a, you know in my electorate in my community, it's a secret location. It's not publicised for reasons obvious. Um, you know that, and you know the secondhand furniture from my office was gold to them. You know, mm. um, so if we actually showed the same commitment to those sorts of tasks, and again, my point before, why why are, were we so ex- worried about indigenous remote communities? Well, because mm. they're highly overcrowded. Um, terrible comorbidities in existing health conditions, um, you know, with all due respect to all the wonderful doctors and nurses doing the work in the Aboriginal medical services, you know, um, not always having access to mm. the best health care. Mm. So, but we accept that. Yeah. No, but we, we haven't accepted, you know, homeless people on the street in the last couple of months. We haven't accepted only having 2,000 intensive care beds. So my, my point is the force of will, when governments decide they can do something, they can do it. I guess my my words of caution for those of us who, you know, um, despite our advancing years, are still idealists and, you know. Um, Have remained somehow uncynical. Correct. Mm. Um, and, you know, are from the from centre-left, so we want to do good things, we want to be active, we want to be involved, we see a problem, we want to fix it, is that partly, of course, that was all they did. They focused on those things. Mm. When, you, you, when you bring your force of will to a, an issue, you've really got to concentrate on it. And so if you try and do it all, 
try and like boil the ocean and say, right, we're going to do every, every social ill, thing. every environmental mm-hmm. problem. We're, mm-hmm. You know, we're going to be sort of, um, you know, it's almost Whitlam-esque now. We're going to, we've been, <laughs> we've been out for it. We've got to fix all the problems. Yeah. Well, you're, you're not going to fix the problems. You've got to decide as a reformist political party who wants to change things, you've got to prioritise. Um, we are going to really put our shoulder to the wheel. We're going to fix this. We're going to make a big difference. But we've got to recognise that if we try and do it all, we're going to stuff it up. We are, we are, we are going to have to set a, a bunch of, you know, a small bunch of national priorities, which you know we were to say this government has neglected, not enough happening, whatever they may be, and trying and then use the, you know, the the new national cabinet to say right, guys, this, this is what we've got to work on together and really provide that same force of will mm. as came to. Um, you know, homelessness and ventilators and even quarantine. I mean, uh, quarantine's had some issues in Victoria, but I mean, it's still a remarkable achievement to say in 48 hours, where when you arrive in Australia, you're going to the hotel, we're paying often four or five star hotels, massive cost, yeah. but it was important enough. Yeah. And if you decide it's important enough, you can, you can do it. You decide domestic violence is important enough. You decide Indigenous communities is important enough. You decide homelessness is important enough. Don't, don't accept the excuse anymore from politicians that, oh, yeah, we'd love to, but it's just all too hard because it's not. But the but there's also, uh, uh, I, you know, I hear what you're saying in terms of, um, uh, you know, projecting or crashing through the inertia of, well, convenient inertia, mm. right? Mm. It's like we can't do, it's too complex, we can't deal with it, right? Yep. Well, this crisis, as you correctly say, says bullshit to that, yep. right? Yep. But... You're also, though, making a point about narrowing focus. I mean, mm. uh, you know, permit a small amount of commentary. Obviously, in uh, the last parliamentary term mm. before you went to the election, you you projected very much as government in exile. Mm. You were, you know, it was sort of, I mean, not white papers literally, but you know what I mean? No, it, we were very activist and we were very detailed. Yeah. Very mm. detailed, right? You're going to the election with a with a very big program, a lot of detail associated with it. What you, I think, saying to me in this conversation is that we can't, we cannot be that broad. We have to try and narrow our range of options. Is yes, that right? Yeah, certainly I'm, I'm making the point that those of us who are um, left of centre and therefore activists and want to fix things, yes, we have to be um, realistic because if we if we if we you know try try and my my term well, that's not my term I invented but a term I like using boil the ocean I mm. do it all at once mm. um, we will fail and yes I mean again you sort of segueing into I, I suppose the last election lessons but, yeah um, lessons the last We've election and yes yeah um, lessons and mm. yeah we we had a program which was so big that's quite a lot of it was lost because we had so many issues on the boil and mm. I think. Um, part of, I, I guess, to cut to the chase, when, you know, um, if like, you know, sort of how am I feeling about the election now, sort of 15 months ago, part of it was we had lots of good policies, but on in hindsight, we did not bring it together in a coherent, compelling narrative about why Australia was desperate for a Labor government and mm-hmm. you know, why, 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 what difference a Labor government would make to the lives of ordinary Australians and help them achieve their aspirations. Now, I think we had a good story to tell, you know, all that, you know, the, we had great policies, but we did not bring it together. Oh, self-evidently, we came second um, in a um, coherent narrative to say, we understand that changing the government's a big call. You don't like doing it very often. Here's why you should do it this time. But what about uh, just sort of tracking you back mm. to your uh, point that you made uh, just a little 
a little earlier in the conversation about how the GFC ushered in mm. the, the the right-wing populist mm. moment mm. rather than mm. the, the social democratic yes. moment, right? Yes. Sort of almost counterintuitively. So there's a there's sort of a heavy weight, there's a heavy weight of that yes. to try and kind of um, push through. Well, well, a heavy weight on two fronts, right? There seems to be that we've had this sort of default to right-wing populism that that's happened, That's that's yep. been... Like that's been a decade long yes. default. There's that. Then you've got to look at the incumbency factors. Mm. Uh, well, you know, the the prime minister is obviously, um, you know, sort of crafting the the national narrative. Mm. You're talking about in a through a centre right frame, right? Mm. Like what what is the case for sure. for a for a centre right government at this point? in history, right? He's sort of doing that gradually, iteratively. I mean, he hasn't brought it together either. No. But it's, you can see him experimenting with what that yes. what that sounds like or what that is. So I guess, I mean, you know, uh, again, I don't want to traumatise you or depress you, um, but uh, it feels like a big force to try and push up against, even if you say, okay, our strategy to, for that is narrowing our focus, narrowing our range of interests, making the case for government, being specific in a in a number of different areas, mm. using what we've learned out of COVID to tell people, hey, guys, government works and we are the party of government working, right? Yeah. Like all that's eminently sensible, but then how do you push up <laughs> yeah. against the physics? Well, that's the challenge for us. I mean, um, uh Australians don't like changing governments and, you know, they've only elected an incoming Labor government, Labor government three times since the war. Um, so they need a very good reason. So we need to bring it together. That's what I'm sort of saying we didn't mm. do last time in, mm. in, with the benefit of 2020 hindsight. Uh, we did not bring it together in a coherent, simple enough message. Um, they ran a big scare campaign and that's always easier than, than a change campaign. Um, but... Um, we have to find that magic elixir to sell uh, change. Um, also, looking back, I think we we all felt, those of us at you know the senior level, none of us were ever, I think it's fair to say, complacent. We all always felt it would be close or would at least tighten. And you know, while we were the favourites, we, we certainly we never felt we were home. I don't think we articulated that strongly enough. You know, mm. I think because most commentators thought we were home, we needed to overcompensate and say, well, this is, you know, in Kevin Rudd's famous phrase from 07, this is like climbing Everest, it's really hard. Um, and so I think there was a, a perception um, which we allowed to uh, develop that we were home um, and Australians don't like people who are home and host, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't work hard enough to say, well, defeating governments are, and, you know, again, so this is hindsight and me included, um, we we said the right words. We said, "Oh, this could be close. This this will be close." But you know, we we really need to overcompensate yeah. and make clear what we genuinely felt in our bones. That, hey, there's a lot of things that can go wrong here, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of lot of governments or well, a lot of political parties around the world, particularly parties of the left, who thought they were home. Um, you know, you might remember Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. um, or the or the 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 Remain vote in the United Kingdom, yeah. who was, yeah. conventional wisdom was that's all sorted. Um, there was a lot that could go wrong, and in our case, things did go wrong. Um, now, we came within 5,692 votes of winning an election. You know, 5,692 votes in the closest electorates had been different, we would have formed a government. That's not to say 
you know, we're anything special, but also I think it's easy to say, well, the Labor Party did everything wrong. Mm. Well, we didn't do everything wrong. Mm. Well, it, clearly we didn't do enough right, but we didn't do everything wrong, no, no, right? No, so, no, no, no. I don't think have, I've said at any point you did it. No, I, I know you're not talking you about me. No, 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 no. I know what you mean. I know what oh. you mean. But it sort of gets, it, it's sort of in a way, uh, you know, it's those, I, I'm not a, I'm not very good at sport. I've never been very good at sport, but I gather professional athletes, the really high mm. caliber people, a number of them visualize a play before they activate it. Yep. It's sort of like, yes. you've got to do this at a psychological level. You've got to see your victory before you actually, you know, sink the three point shot or whatever you're doing. Right. So I, I think around, you know, the labor show, it's not only, a, it's not only, um, having a, a strategy, a, a, a more manageable strategy mm. to make the case for a change of government. There's also, you've got to pick yourselves up. Yeah, from, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and do, you, right. do you think, well, two things, like this sort of, I guess, sharpens the, your point. One, do you think you're on a path presently for delivering the sort of strategy you're talking about? Mm. And two, do you think you have the collective wherewithal, the resilience to, uh, to stand up and make this point or the physics that I was referring to before, right? Uh, you know, there's people, people have, um, you know, people aren't sort of crying into their cups no, of tea, no, I but know. I don't, I don't know that all around the place there's a kind of like, you know. Oh, look, you know, um, the election defeat was a blow because we would have been a good government. Um, and, uh, you know, we would have been a good prime minister and we would have been a good government. And it came as a big blow. Um, and of course, you know, um, I can only really speak for myself here. I, I think, you know, I certainly take the view it's not about us. It's about the people who rely on the Labor government. We've got to be, we've got to be in there fighting every day for them because um, they need us. That's why we're here all, to a man and a woman um, in the Labor caucus. That's why we came here to fight for them. We have to remind ourselves of that. And the next election is eminently winnable. As I said, 5,692 votes last time, gone different. Uh, we'd be in a very different environment. Um, and parties of the left are doing it hard. There's even a term for parties of the left disappearing around the world. It's called mm. pasokification. Really? Yeah, yeah. The PASOK, the Greek Socialist oh, yes. Party, yeah. disappeared. Right. And so now when... Pasokification. Right. So when a, a centre-left party disappears, um, as basically the French socialists have done and mm. the Greek socialists have done, mm. um, well, we haven't disappeared. Mm. We're in fighting. Um, and we're the alternative government of Australia, and I think we can be and will be. So, we have to look back on the on the last election, learn the right lessons. I mean, um, you know, just immediately after the election, everybody thought, "Ah, oh, well, you know, policy's dead. You know, you never do. There'll never be an opposition promoting policies again." I don't think that's quite the right answer. It was a complicated set of arrangements. Obviously, we got some. You know, we were. Our position on coal hurt us in Queensland. Mm. There were all sorts of complicated issues. Yes, we had a big agenda. We made some mistakes. I've got to be honest about that. I mean, I look back and think, oh, well, why? You know, I, I cop some criticism fairly for saying, well, people who uh, don't who feel strongly about our policies aren't you know are obliged to uh, aren't obliged to vote for us. Mm. Words to that effect. Yeah, and that, and that was a mistake on my behalf. I meant to say, well, this is a democracy. It's an election. We've got our policies out there. People can judge us. I allowed that sort of perception of arrogance to, to um, be painted on that. And, you know, I shouldn't have done that, for example. So we look back and think, oh, well, there's lessons to be learnt. It was a very poor form of words on my behalf in one interview. Um, but let's not pretend that we've got everything, you know, collectively, we've got everything wrong. Um, collectively, we made some mistakes. 
But also the government, the Liberal Party made a whole bunch of mistakes as well. They happened to win. <laughs> so mm. let's, write, let's learn the right lessons. And as you say, correctly, pick yourself up, fight on. You know, I still have the view, despite the fact we're not taking pot shots at them during a crisis, they're a pretty ordinary bloody government. You know? So we've got, to, we've got to take the fight to them. Uh, every day with alternative policies. Just one area, we'll finish on this. I mean, we could go on, but we, we probably shouldn't. Um, the um, You mentioned the coal uh, issue in mm. Queensland. Obviously, her Joel Fitzgibbon's been round and mm. about making some points. Uh, one of the areas Labor will have to take by way of a policy platform yep. is, is climate, obviously. Um, it's it's very important to your yep. progressive and a very vote. important policy area, right? We, we are in the middle of a climate well, crisis well, as well. Well, yeah. some of us would not like to die on a dead planet, right? Yeah. So, and, it uh, has, and it has massive health implications exactly, as well. Exactly, right. So, so how, how do you fix that Well, problem? without getting into the nitty-gritty of it, um, you know, because, again, just as I'm not announcing health policy, nor am I announcing climate change policy, not my, not my place uh, to do so. But I think, though, um, we, we can learn the lessons of the past as well as learn the lessons of our colleagues overseas. This is a vexed issue, a really tough issue. And the point that Joel makes, and he plays an important role here, is to say, well, hang on, a lot of these people in traditional industries, you know, say, well, I don't want to be retrained. You know, I can't be retrained. This is the end of the line for me if you take my job away. And we have to be very sensitive to that. Um, you know, I don't like the term just, just transition because it means that people who have lost their jobs through a change are some sort of afterthought, some sort of add-on. Oh, yeah, well, don't worry, mate, we're going to train you in to work in a cafe or in a startup. Mm. Well, sorry, that life doesn't work that way. But nor can we dodge the big problems facing the world and us and climate change is right up there, you know, close to the top of the list. I, I see it in terms of that that Labor compact, you know, the old Hawke Keating hey, we're not going to dodge the problems. In their case, it was declining world uh, national income, you know, a sclerotic economy. They said, look, this is going to be really, really hard, guys. We're going to have to make big changes. We're going to have to tear down the tariffs. People are going to be affected. But we're not going to forget anybody. We're bringing you, bringing you with us as we go. We're going to have the social wage. We're going to introduce Medicare so you can see your doctor. We're going to get your kid to stay to, at school in year 12 and give them a shot at university for the first time in your family's existence. We're going to create superannuation so you have a chance of a dignified retirement, which previously has been the preserve of you know a, a fortunate few. We are going to have a big agenda, right? but we are not going to dodge the problems. So from my point of view, it's now, it's, well, now our equivalent is climate change is high on the list. We're not going to dodge it. We can't pretend it's not going to happen, mm. but nor should we leave people behind as we do so, nor should we say, sorry, you know, um, you guys in traditional industries, you're just going to cop it in the neck. Um, you know, you have to have that holistic agenda. I mean, I like the way Joe Biden's dealing with it. He's, he's got an economic plan which deals with climate change, mm. but, you know, he, he had a great line. He said, when, when Donald Trump hears climate change, he says hoax. When I hear climate change, I say jobs, jobs, jobs. You know, it's got to be economic, an economic policy at its core, which brings people with you, um, is a compact, is a, is a contract, is a deal. Mm. You, you choose your word. Yeah. I, I like compact, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, choose your word, um, which is an understanding with people to say, you will not be forgotten. We're on your side. Yes, we've got to deal with this. Otherwise, you know, the planet will be will be very negatively impacted and that's in nobody's best interest. But, you know, it's not your fault you've been working in the traditional industry and it's all you know and it's what you're trained to do and, you know, you love your job because we are the party of work. Mm. But 
where the, the giveaways in the name. We're the Labor Party. We believe in work, and you know we are, we we believe all work is to be respected. Whether you're down a mine working your guts out, you're a teacher, you're a nurse, you're executive, you deserve equal respect as far as the Labor Party is concerned. Um, and and people who are impacted by that need to need to hear that from us more often. I mm. think. I don't think. Again, uh, in the hands, I don't think we've said that enough. You know, we're with you. We're on your side. Um, you know, you, you've got to be very careful when you're prosecuting the climate change argument, which I'm, you know, passionately believe in prosecuting, that climate change is real, it's going to have its impacts, we have to deal with it. You can't let it turn into some sort of culture war. And our, our opponents will do this in a heartbeat, and they do it in a heartbeat. Have it turned around onto us as a culture war, or you hate miners, mm. or you hate work, people who work in, in manufacturing, which needs energy. Um, they, they, the liberals play identity politics much better than anybody else i.e. they make everything about identity politics. They make climate change about identity. It's the inner cities, you know, they go, well, um, it's only the inner cities who care about climate change. You know, they're against you in the regions. Um, I, I actually heard Scott Morrison say this in a speech. I almost drove off the road it was in a podcast I was listening to where he talked about the goat's cheese circle. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, dis- he was disrespecting and dishonouring people who commit the crime of living close to the city. Mm-hmm. They're citizens, right? But what he was doing was playing playing the identity politics, he was weaponising climate change. It was a speech to the Mining Council of Queensland, I think. He was weaponising climate change and energy policy into culture war identity politics. So they'll do it quickly and we can fall into the trap of of, of being painted that way, that we're against people who um, have committed the crime of working traditional industries, when actually we need to be for them. We need to help them through. We need to say, change is coming. And the, the world's going to change. Your industry is going to be under pressure. We have a choice. Either we manage that change and work with you and deal with climate change or we don't. Mm. It's much better to manage it and mm. have a policy to deal with it. Well, that's a watch this space if I've ever mm. heard one. Anyway, let's wrap on that note. Um, uh, thank you, Chris, for the conversation. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, you guys, for listening as always. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who's the executive producer of the show, and to Hannah Izzard, who often cuts it. We'll be back with you next week. Been a great chat. Thank you, Catherine. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.